Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am delighted to be sitting here across from my friend, the historian Alexis Ko. She is the author of Alice and Frida Forever, soon to be a major motion picture. Um, she's frequently appeared on CNN and the History Channel and has contributed to the New York Times, The New Yorker, and many other publications. And her latest book is a biography of a guy you might have heard of, George Washington, called You Never Forget Your First. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, what a pleasure. Alexis, you have already told me that women historians have to do double duty. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? At first, it was really exciting. <laughs> I mean, in graduate school, it seemed like, okay, all these women and people of color have been left out of the narrative. We're going to put them in. Right. And um, I've done that for a lot of my career, but I also really love – I I think of myself as a political historian, which means that I do deal with the presidency a lot. Yes. And – I love presidential biographies, but what I've been realizing over the last 10 years is they're – some are better than others. <laughs> yes. Um, the, people like TR, you know, any of the Roosevelt's, uh, the big – Oh, uh, sorry, TR. TR. Okay. You know, in my world, TR. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. TR, you know, any of like – Kennedy, these people are going to have um, had women study them. You know, Doris Kearns right. Goodwin, Notorious DKG has handled it. However, <laughs> with other people, this has not happened. And obviously with, with Washington, that was really apparent to me. Yeah. Um, I'm the third woman in 100 years, and I'm the first woman historian. And it shows. Like, it, it just was really obvious to me even before I had that intellectual realization. And I checked it with like, the Washington papers and Mount Vernon. Um, and so I do feel like women have to do double duty. We have to find all these women and um, or, you know, reassess their narratives and stop treating them just like domestic witnesses, you know, right. people who observe um, men in their life as gods, um, treat them as fully formed people, and then also go back and check all the acceptive narratives of history. And it's so much work. And you were, uh, yeah, it was written by white men, mostly for white men. Yeah. For the most part. It's this theory of great man history, which um, is that, you know, a, a great man shaped just his time completely. And we know this isn't true. Right. Um, and we know that we know this just intellectually, you know, the, you know this just instinctually. But we also know that, you know, this isn't true because there were lots of people. A, a man is not a an island, you know, there's, yes. there's like a lot of other people and things going on around him. Um, but yeah, it's, man, it's a lot to do. I need some help. <laughs> and yet, um, rather than giving us a tomb um, uh, of a George Washington biography, your, your book is snappy. For a presidential biography, yeah. I mean, I have, so I do have a lot of theories, and this is true with Alison Frieda as well. I have a lot of theories about how history should be written for a popular audience. Yes. Every few months, it feels like there's some dumb hot take where they say, you know, historians don't engage the public. Historians don't think about their right. readers. Historians, you know, only write for each other. My entire career is a counter-narrative to that. I mm. worked in public history. I worked in exhibitions and oral history in public places. And um, I still think of myself as a, a, a teacher of sorts and as someone who is serving people who are interested in history or don't think they are because I think yes. everyone is. Um, and so I want to – 
make books that are not I don't think there's any reason to have a thousand if I'm if I'm ever going to write that sort of book it's probably going to be volumes and or, or like divided by like <laughs> easier you know, to carry on the subway yeah <laughs> but also I mean I I think a lot of the problem with presidential biographies and certainly with founding fathers is that there's a lot of ego involved in taking the right. man on and then it's really like a performance mm-hmm. and I felt like instead of giving you 30 examples of something you were probably good with three and you just trust your reader to figure out the rest my reader is definitely as smart as me they just don't <laughs> know everything that I know and it's my job to tell them what the most important thing to know is or at least the the top three um, and it's very easy to do that. And it's easy to make a reader feel like an expert and to give them an enjoyable time um, and satisfy both experts and novices. And that's what's been so fun about this. You know, we've talked about this book before, but we talked about it before I left for a book tour. And yeah. now I'm, you know, it's weeks later and, uh, you know, George is out in the world. He's making his way. He's meeting <laughs> yes. people. He's, you know, he's making his own friends and having his own experiences. I, I love that. Tell me about the. Tell me more about the tombs and the the men who have come before, and have um, they work from the same materials that you work yeah. from? Yeah, that's the sort of funny part. Is there's there's no um, secret vault, you know, that you have to have gone to Harvard and you know have descended from the Mayflower to see. We're all working from the same primary sources. Um, Which is, I mean, of course you are, but that had never occurred to me before you said yeah. it. I mean, some people more carefully than others. And, right. and much is made about Caro, you know, turning the page and going through the whole folder. That's He's a he's a trained journalist, but, like, that's what we learn. That's what mm-hmm. we're taught. It is sort of like a bit of a Socratic method in, in history. Um, and what, what was strange to me is, so we think of the term is great man history, right? Yes. Um, but a part of me sort of taking this all down was to even come up with my own little weird terms. And yes. one that has, it seems, delighted and captured the nation. I'm going to giggle. Is the thigh men of dad history. Yes. And a part of it is that's what first um, seems so weird to me. <laughs> the His male biographers, again, like completely male, were obsessed with his his body, but not in like a cool way. I, I like his body um, – you know, I joke that, like, indeed, it's a wonderland and <laughs> that, you know. Got to bring is. the John Mayer when yeah. you can. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. amazing, but not because of what it looked like, because of what it sustained and endured and yes. all of that. I mean, you know, and I have this list of diseases survived and how many times and what, you know, how it was treated. It Brutal. Absolutely. He's had so many different lives. So many. And, you know, he's writing with a pillow underneath his butt. His his death goes on for days. He kept saying you know, he wants to be bled basically when he's lost half the blood in right. his body. It's incredible. What I'm not interested in is his thighs. <laughs> how not, muscular no, they are. No, they went on forever muscular and like how they looked gripping a horse and um, – <laughs> Chernow in particular, he talks about like that it just starts with the thighs and then he like works his way up and he talks about <laughs> his jaw and rippling and it reads like um it reads like a romance novel, but like mm. not a great one. Yeah. <laughs> like like not the kind I think of like um 
you know, the wedding date, like, like I think my yes, Jasmine's book, Jasmine's those book. are good. Um, these are, these are not, uh, they're more like, I guess what, Cliché. yeah, what I think of uh, what, before I knew, ja- before Jasmine wrote this book, because I was friends with her before, but like, you know, what I, I think I thought of it before my friends started writing romance novels. Um, not my thing. Also, um, it shows this hero worship mm-hmm. that, you know, I make light of it, but it's a pretty serious concern to watch these men um, genuflect in the direction of their subject as a biographer. It's bizarre. Also, let's apply the same rules. If we talked about a woman's legs, it wouldn't be okay no. <laughs> at all. So it, it's bizarre. Um, and it made me think – it wasn't just about the legs. You know, I call them the thigh men of dad history because, again, this is, you know, presidential history. It's it's written for dads, written for white yep. – you know, not that all white men are dads, but, like, it's written for a certain type of man. Yes. And um, some of that is because the way they cover it. So maybe dads, you know, people of color would be more interested if they didn't, like, have one token slave when you know that they owned hundreds. You know, right. there's, like, lots of things that I found problematic. Um But in particular, I thought, okay, if you're obsessing over this and you're so defensive about his masculinity, which I thought was a foregone conclusion, and you're, 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 you're putting him on this trajectory, you're saying these people influenced him, these people were out to get him, um, I can't trust anything you say. Right. And I started to check the primary sources because it's, you know, what I do, um, and immediately saw that things are off. I mean, just immediately, it, it, it. It seems like it should have been harder. Mm-hmm. And granted, everything <laughs> past that point was exceptionally hard. You know, I still had to write a book and spend years doing sure. it. And everything is endnoted. And I had a fact checker um, who I hired. Yeah, every The big secret of publishing is every author spends their money where they choose. Some hire editors, Carrie Fry, for example. Yes. You want to get on Obama's list? She's the woman, apparently. But I some higher publicists, some higher publicists, <laughs> true. Um, and, and yeah, some just talk shit about them on Twitter, and, and some and some of us hire fact checkers in, because you value facts. Yeah, and oh. also because I knew um, I knew that like my initial things like you know with Chernow, what you're saying about his mother just isn't true. Like there's nothing to support it, and I knew that that was true because I checked with people. But I became really close with one editor at the Washington Papers, the presidential papers at UVA. And I hired him for the Washington TV series, which I mm-hmm. worked on with Doris Kearns Goodwin. And then I just made him look at the book. Yes. And because at that point, we were we were sort of odd. We were an odd couple. Right. Um, but he – we've become friends. And, you know, he came to my talk in Mountain Vernon with his wife. And Aww. there are these photos of them just looking around like, like beaming proud parents. <laughs> it's really cute. Sweet. But – uh, that's what I I knew that everything had to be completely right because people would come after me. Um, I had no idea what that would look like. Mm, Alexis, <laughs> you appear to have struck a nerve with um, conservative newspapers. Uh, maybe even further to the right than that, like some some white nationalist kind of. Yeah, places. I didn't. What's expect going that. on? So I thought. I, I I thought that my talk at Mount Vernon was going to be my toughest crowd. Yeah. I, they invited me to spend the night there, and I thought they were basically leading me into the lion's den. <laughs> and instead, 300 white people, mm-hmm. Marsha Challen, the Georgetown professor <laughs> who came to see me, a friend, but like 300 white people, older white people, 
were delighted. Okay. It was my best crowd. I mean, I had I was really lucky with great crowds throughout the country and good conversation right. partners and it was awesome. But the idea that these people who don't look like they would like this book loved it and also bought multiple copies. <laughs> like that was probably my best sales night too because they bought a copy for themselves and for like an adult son or whoever, <laughs> daughter and the the thing that was exciting about that crowd too is they've read a bunch of Washington biographies. Sure. So they also they it was two things. They were like, this is different, this is good, and um I think that this could get people interested in this subject, which I care so much about. Yes. So I thought, oh my God, ch- boxes ticked. I <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, everyone was so kind. You know, I, I Julian Zelsner, like um Noah Feldman, they were using crazy things to describe me, you know comparisons to huge historians and I thought like this this target is visible from space and then (laughs) the post and of all places the Daily Mail okay the Daily Mail attacking someone for taking a realistic view at George Washington it's like have some self-respect guys (laughs) you lost you You, guys he he humiliated you (laughs) it was totally crazy um but the the thing that was also weird is the headlines were really provocative, but mm-hmm. the 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 rev- I guess reviews and yes. scare quotes here um, were largely good and positive. I mean, the, so there are a couple of things like so there are some widely acknowledged myths about Washington that are cl- like clearly just myths, wooden teeth. Wooden teeth and wouldn't tell a lie. That was yeah. the thing I was going. So yeah. not telling a lie, the, the headlines you see are like, lady historian <laughs> calls George Washington yeah. a liar. And it's like. And well, illiterate. <laughs> oh, that was wrong. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. But like, yeah, of course he lied, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, he he won a war. He was a spy master. He knew how to lie. But the fa- they, they, you know, yeah, it was basically like lady historian calls him illiterate and a liar. And so I just posted like three sentences from the first yeah. five pages of the book in which I established he kept a journal. I quote a letter and I talk about books he bought. And, you know, clearly I'm, I'm not calling him illiterate. The liar part, I mean, the rest was sensational, but I thought, okay, whatever. Um, things had been looking good already. This is President's Day weekend because I there was a really positive piece on CNN.com, the opinion pages, and then um, the Washington Post ran two stories, and I wrote something for them. So everything was like, the, you know, you saw Amazon, you saw like it climbing, and it was really exciting. And then all of a sudden um, – I start getting – I'm bombarded with messages on Twitter and emails and direct messages on, on Instagram that say things like, are you Jewish? Every every single iteration of it. And then I saw, you know, the, my Google Alerts and I sent you one of these. There is um, – there is a photo of me, um, you know, this like really funny one yeah. that was on Inside Hook, which I'm in Washington's uniform. And then at the top, it says something like feminist, LGBTQ, LGBT. yeah. Jewish writer. And then the first couple lines talk about like, oh, she's the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor, of course. And so what happened was not – a lot of conservative people were actually like, okay, I don't know about – highlighting slavery quite so much, et cetera, but like interesting take, I will read it. 
this seems like something totally outside of it. This is – these are just white supremacists who don't think that any woman or any Jew should be saying anything about anyone in public or perhaps yeah. be alive. I mean, I think that was the implication that, that of like the it. Holocaust um, commentary. Um, and, and truly, the, it's so bizarre because as you told me originally – you are not trying to cancel George Washington. I'm trying to actually make people interested in George Washington. And you humanize him. And by all accounts, it it worked. Women, people of color, other people who are not interested in Washington, who, you know, are interested in presidential history but find Washington to be vanilla or bland or whatever it is, it's working. And so that's what's sort of incredible is um, it really has nothing to do with the content of the work or the quality of the scholarship. It is literally something that I, I, I don't think about a lot, um, which is the fact I am a, a Jewish woman. <sighs> oh, and one um, – a few of them came onto my Instagram and tried to figure out if I was a single mom. <laughs> that, <was> also, that, <laughs> that would be another strike against you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Bummer for, and they couldn't – and also they're so bad. They're really lazy because if you just scrolled back, you would see wedding photos and – all sorts of things that I'm glad they didn't find, like the Hillary tweet, my God. Oh, gosh. Um, but that's just lazy, too. Like, be better. Be best. Be best. Um, it's so funny that um, in your book, you talk about the importance of understanding the idea that Mary, George's mother, was a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and so here they're trying to like get you. Yeah. When 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 what she did was uh, almost miraculous. Yeah. And it. <laughs> so by the way, it was Andrew Jackson's, but but I guess that wasn't as important to them. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah I that was really bizarre. They just were clearly going after me. I mean, I get some of this. You know, I um on the History Channel, I. I apparently said, and this makes sense to me, I say it all the time, that we should think about Washington as being raised by a single mom the way we think of Obama, Clinton, Ford, again, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Uh, more than I ever want to talk about Andrew Jackson has been just in the, pushing this book. But, sure. Um, and I purposely trump out like an even number of examples from both sides. Um, but they – yeah, that really pissed them off. So I got a lot of comments and emails about how I'm doing really well in this series, but I need to take Obama out of my mouth. And the phrasing <laughs> of take him out of your mouth is Yikes. so interesting to me because it's really aggressive and it seems um, paternalistic yes. and um, it's it's violent. It is. And I just um, – I ran that by – a couple like really big CNN, et cetera, historians I know like do – because I always – I'm always doing a gut check with them. Is yeah. this a normal thing? Because I'm sort of like the only one of my generation right now right. Um, who's in this realm. And they were like, nope, no one ever says that. They'll, they'll just, you know, say I want to fight you, but they'll never – but they don't talk about you in this way. Or someone said I was um, too pretty to open my mouth. Uh, what a compliment. I know. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> I'm so, oh my God. Like, I hope he knows. Well, I'm married, but you know, what do they expect? <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's wild. And, and as far as I can tell, if they actually bothered to read the book, I mean, the, the thing that you are harshest about 
you know, you have this great little package and it's so fun to read this book, but on nearly every single page, you're addressing the fact that Washington was a slave owner. Washington caused, you know, was complicit in the the murder and uh, of so many Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And that this is a vital part of who he was. It's not my agenda. It's that this was right. the guy's fucking worldview. This was his life. <laughs> yeah. It's like if I if I said, you know, I, I mean, I can't even think of a, com- a comparison, but this was what he saw when he looked out into the world. Mm-hmm. It's what he was concerned about as far as his businesses. It's literally in his mouth, slave teeth. So that is so. Instead of wooden teeth, they were teeth. From- yeah, it was. I mean, at best, he was a poacher. Where you have ivory from hippos, but but for the most part, it was enslaved people, and he was paying under market rate. Other to get their teeth. Yes, and other rich people bought teeth, but they didn't go directly to the source all the time. They didn't necessarily have hundreds of people to to you know say all. Oh, and I got great emails about like at least he paid them. He didn't have to. He owned them. <gasps> Oh. Um, and then there was another one that was like – I mean one, but there were many of, of – it said something like, look, I, I get what you're saying. It's Slavery is bad. But remember that he didn't start slavery. What? He just enslaved people. He He didn't have a choice. He had a choice. He had a choice. That's why Lafayette spent decades writing to him and saying, "Lafayette, as we all know from the, Hamilton, I know. A, I feel like a great I dude. <laughs> yeah, I, he's like my, the famous name drop, really. And be, people, I thought that like people would perk up. I didn't realize I wouldn't need it, but he's he he serves a purpose. But he wrote for decades, and he said, "Set an example for your infant nation." So we know that he did. In fact, it's not. Oh, he was a man of his time. He, he didn't understand money. that <laughs> he didn't want to pay. You have to pay when you emancipate. An enslaved person, you have to pay the state, and then if if you've crippled them or they're old in your service, which happened a lot because that's sure people worked slaves to the bone. Um, they, you know, he didn't want to basically, and he was cash poor. You can say all that, but his will shows us he had plenty of money. If he wanted to make a big statement, he could have. It wouldn't have affected at any time. Yeah, and he wouldn't have affected Martha. She had her own money. Ben Franklin emancipated his slaves. He, there's just everything to suggest that this. While very meaningful to the people he emancipated in his well um, or paved the the road to emancipation, rather, because it was up to Martha, death or her decision. Guess how that went. Um, but but he didn't. And that's fine. But the thing is, it, it's just it was as big of a concern to him as anything else. And it is my job to present his world to you. And I do so without judgment because I, again, believe that my reader is very smart and has the capacity to hold all these things at once and to be really disturbed by this, but to keep reading, to understand that he could be a negligent son and a doting stepfather, that he could be the founder of, um, you know, the first true democracy that we know, you know, today that survives, um, that doesn't come from a monarchy, you know, a lot of caveats there. And he could also enslave people. We can we can handle all this. We can juggle it and we can proceed with open eyes and we're going to be just fine at the end and so is America. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's what Washington and the founders actually wanted. They thought that if you let this all sort of be elevated to fairy tale, if you turn your eye on these institutions, if you let people who are only interested in maintaining power do that without any checks, if you go with your party over the uh, will and the um, 
the prospects of the American people that we will we as Americans will be in decay that that is allowing corruption and so the most patriotic patriotic thing that you can do is to look clearly at your country and at its founders it seems like you're talking about the present day i went off didn't I? <laughs> I mean it's no. just i didn't expect it to be like that i the the weekend before the election i was at mount vernon at a symposium and i was taking notes in my little hillary clinton notebook and <laughs> thought like i thought to die like i'm gonna be writing a book about the first president while living through the first presidency of a woman boom yeah yeah and we get this all the time from every source imaginable Mm -hmm. the founding fathers would have wanted blah 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 yeah as if they were also in agreement (laughs) that's a good point too they had all sorts of their they were frenemies Mm -hmm. they had Washington was Tips. literally on speaking terms with one by the time he died. You <laughs> and know, you have a handy chart. So yeah. We know. And we know that like Jefferson and, and Adams had this like great reconciliation before they died. But like, wh- why are we okay with that? Why why do we why do we need to hold on to the end of something with the for Washington, the redemption story? He emancipated his slaves. Let's right. not deal in the details. Or um Jefferson and Adams, they, you know, parted as friends. There's that romantic story about them writing letters before they died. That's all meaningful. But I also want to know the total shit show that was their friendship leading up to it. Yeah. And so much like talking about each other behind each other's backs. But like really destroying each other. If we think partisan politics are bad now, you should really look at the the 18th century. Mm. And uh, I've told you this, but uh, one of my favorite parts of your book um, is that you include a recipe, which seems like a very lady author thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it's for hoe cakes. What were hoe cakes? Hoe cakes were basically corn cakes, and that's my adapted recipe. So that's really the best it's ever going to take. And I say that to warn you before you go into it. (laughs) Um, Hoe cakes were important to me because I saw them mentioned an awful lot in the Washington biographies. That That's his favorite that breakfast. That it was his favorite breakfast and it was commented on a lot and sort of, you know, he was a bit of a celebrity and so his um, grandchildren, step-grandchildren, they would tell these stories like, oh, in the morning he always ate hoe cakes, swimming in butter and honey. And um, I thought that was really interesting but I – I like didn't know why it was interesting, right. and and it was the the whole book is the process of like looking at things and just trying to see it through a different angle. Whether it's you know something seems hinky in in a in a in some sort of accepted narrative, and then I f- check the primary sources off or like this recipe, like why it, it, they mention a lot, but like why 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 what why is it important? And then I realized you know the thing is it's important to me for a different reason. It's important to them because they elevate him so high, they've made him marble. He's a statue, and he's almost like the Washington Ma- Monument. He's just like right. He's phallic. He's smooth. There's no face. Stone. There's no emotion. <laughs> yeah, and so what I wanted to do was was make the hoe cakes. So I made the hoe cakes. Took forever, and I and you also have to prepare the night before. And I thought, okay, so he wants these every morning at like six a.m. Who's making them for him? And what does that look like? Um, And it became this great opportunity to walk people through a day in his life. How 
And not just like, oh, he had these farms and he went around, you know, who enabled him to do so? Who fed him? Who packed him a lunch? And so we begin with the enslaved people waking up very early in the morning after getting, you know, to their quarters, often just dormitory style, um, very late at night after cooking, you know, supper and preparing for the next day. And then we have them go through the whole process of making the hoe cakes. Hours later, someone goes up to light a fire in Washington's room, which means it's quite cold. I don't care about the lighting of the fire unless I also know right. that other people – their fires weren't lit, and who was lighting his fire? Um, and then it takes forever to get through this recipe. He finally eats. They send him off, but they also have to then, while he's eating, like quickly make a, a lunch for him to take. And that's just the beginning of their day, right? That's just like the smallest little. It's a sliver. It's a, but it's a, it's a shift change. It's all sorts of important things that we need to know about. Not just. I don't want to treat these things like they're separate because they weren't. The enslaved community wasn't like, okay, now here's the slave chapter and here's right. Washington's life the rest of the time. Their their lives were intertwined and we need to know how. And in the absence of like an illegitimate child or, you know, the suspicion of or something right. else, we don't have an interest. And I, I think, you know – or it hasn't been presented us in this way, there's ways to see everything as really meaningful to his life. Yeah, and especially if we're supposed to be looking back to him for, quote-unquote, guidance. Yeah, and it's, again, not to – I think we should – my whole point is we should study him. We just need to do it with really open eyes and understand that this guy was flawed and so was our founding. He didn't know – um, what to do, what would look good, what would leave the infant nation, you know, a child. He's our, he's the father of the country. The country was also his child um, in a good place. And he made a lot of bad decisions. He thought he was doing the best he could and sure. working with the information that he had. Um, but he made decisions based on that information, again, that he had. And in order to understand why and why our country looks the way it does, we need to take that all in. And we'll be just fine. Well, George Washington, I pose absolutely no threat to him. But I'll wait for your Thomas Jefferson biography. Oh no, no, I'm just kidding. Wait, but, but who would you like to tackle next? I don't know. I'm thinking about, um, you know, as I said, there's so much to do. And the first book was on women. Um and then the second on a man, I'm not quite sure. I'm I'm sort of – I've got a few things. The thing is, a book deal, I'm not the first to say this, but I say it often. It's your – when you create a book project in your mind, you are the architect of your own prison. Yes. And I just got out, you know. So wise. Yes. And I, enjoy your life I and really your need family. to make sure that the next time I put myself in, it's like a, a – you know – I'm basically – I was like an executive at Fox News. That's the kind of person I want. I want, <laughs> I want it to be real nice. I want to leave during the day um, and just check in at night. And that's – so I haven't figured out what looks like that yet. Fair. Tell me what you're reading. What am I reading? Well, literally nothing right now because <laughs> I've been on book tour and I've never been so busy in my life and I had a – I had a newborn in June, and right. I, I can tell you I've never been so busy in my life. Um, but I've just um, put together a list of books for Women's History Month that I'm pretty excited about. Ooh, um, do tell. And they are um, a, a mix of books, and it's for Goodreads, so it's about, you know, books that I want you to read 
in women's but it doesn't have to be by or about yeah and it doesn't have to be specifically about history or about women um and so i'm suggesting basically i won't spoil that one but anything by joanne freeman the yale professor Mm -hmm. um she writes about violence in congress she's written about hamilton she is such a good writer and that's something that people don't talk about and it's sort of treated as academia but it's not um in this same realm for people who have really don't know women's history i would suggest um that they start with the beginning, the the phrase, you know, um, well-behaved women ra- rarely make history. Yes. We think Eleanor Roosevelt said it. She didn't. Oh, who said it? Laura Ulrich, the oh. um, the Harvard professor, and she and she said it in this like obscure article about education in the seventies, and it just took off. Um, and so this book by that same title is about what that was like for her and who she had in mind when she said it and why. They didn't make it, <laughs> you know. Like it's 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 you get micro histories within like a greater conversation about yeah. um, that. I think with pop feminism today is like a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I think it's really really um, useful information. And then a book that um, that I really liked um, that's fiction actually that yeah. I didn't list in this. But speaking of you know people shall we say, driving outside of their lane. Yeah. Um, You know, how dare a woman, an American woman, focus Mm -hmm. on an American president. Um, When you have things like American Dirt, Mm -hmm. it's a surprise direction, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, You, you... It's a terrible take, right? Just every from every part of it, from the way it was written to um, the promotion of it. But there are people who write beautifully about subjects outside of their own of course um worldview and i think a great example of that because again not everything has to be to the extreme not everything is cancel culture um a great example of that is girl by edna o'brien oh yeah and i love that and that was one of the few novels i read um in the months leading up to the book pub and it was just reissued, I think. I think so. And it's um, – I also really suggest listening to the book, which I don't often love listening to books unless there's some great narrator. Right. And the woman who reads it, I, I don't know her name, but she's incredible. And oh, I, I It felt like a drama. Ooh, I love it. But it was also herring. So I'm sorry if this is – it's difficult content, but it's really, really good. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.